Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yet again, all good martinis. When you do really well on election night, the good martinis tend to pile up. And Jim, given how this year has gone in general, I think we're still way behind on good martinis. But uh, I like the track we're on. So hopefully we can keep it up for the last few weeks of the year. Think we can do it? Uh, No. (laughs) I don't think the good news while it's coming. Exactly, exactly. So for our first good martini, let's head over to New Jersey. We wish we could tell you that uh, Jack Chatterelli have managed to win the uh, governor's race and uh, and flip that in a huge upset. It did not happen. It looks like uh, Phil Murphy will narrowly survive. But there was another result in New Jersey that has jaws on the floor. It was in the Garden State's third Senate district, which was held by Democrat Steve Sweeney. And Democrat Steve Sweeney is not just any Democrat in the state Senate New Jersey. He's the president of the state Senate and has been for the last 11 years. He was running against a Republican named Edward Durr, a truck driver who spent a grand total of $153 on his general election campaign for the New Jersey Senate. And I'm guessing he spent part of it on this video, just a very down-to-earth explanation of what was wrong in New Jersey. Hello, my name is Edward Durr. I'm running for New Jersey State Senate. I've lived here all my life raising my three kids. In 2020, my opponent sat by and watched as Governor Murphy forced nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients, resulting in the death of over 8,000 of our seniors. He remained silent as Governor Murphy, with his lockdown and mandates, forced the closing of over one-third of our small businesses, costing New Jersey family thousands of jobs. He has done nothing as seven out of every 10 moves are leaving the state, placing a heavier burden on those of us who remain. Uh, there's also a yard sign at the end of that video that's uh, in the yard with his name on it. So I'm guessing maybe he spent a little more than $150 because uh, some folks said he spent most of it at Dunkin' Donuts. So uh, Jim, nonetheless, for a very limited campaign, you know that the people are fed up with what was happening with their uh, traditional politicians in New Jersey, that they went with a guy that they couldn't possibly have known that much about. Greg, let me first begin by saying, if you are a candidate for state or federal or even local office, and you spend more than half your campaign budget on Dunkin' Donuts, (laughs) I can respect that. Okay, I see where you're coming from. I relate. I've been there. We've all been there. Um. I've heard some people make the argument that Sweeney, for for Illinois listeners, Sweeney is almost the Mike Madigan of uh, New Jersey state politics. Ah. And it is it's worth keeping in mind. You know, some obviously the the governor is the head of the executive branch. But oftentimes what actually becomes law is in the hands of who controls one or both of the, uh, uh, the state legislative chambers. And Sweeney was, you know, if not the most powerful person in the state, then the second most powerful person in the state. And, you know, just one of those defeats that nobody saw coming. I'm reminded a bit of Dave Bratt replacing Eric Cantor. And I say this is a guy who generally liked Eric Cantor. Anytime you see somebody who completely just gets clobbered, who did not see it coming, um, usually that's an indication that somebody who's been in politics for a very long time and kind of takes their reelection 
for granted, that they didn't really get out there and campaign. They didn't really get out there and work hard. Uh, they did not do enough events. They just assumed that because they'd won a lot of races in the past, they were going to go out and win this one just the same way they did. That obviously is not the case here. And so even if, I mean, it's almost separate from ideology. You, you know, the, the idea that legislators are not kings, they are not royalty, they're not aristocrats. Uh, they're, you know, this, you could argue, we, we don't, I want to reopen the entire argument for term limits. Just think of this as natural term limits. Uh, you know, you've got to go out and earn another two, four, six, whatever your term is. You've got to go out there and earn, earn the respect of your constituents once again. Sweeney did not do that. He got caught looking. He got caught sleeping. And uh, good for Durr. Uh, I, I can only think about how many people are going to, you know, enjoy saying his name. Sweetie wasn't paying attention to the state. Durr. Um, <laughs> you know, again, it's it's uh, the other thing, which I think we talked a bit yesterday about how we've had this pendulum effect of wave elections, almost going back every two years with an exception. You know, uh, every midterm since 2002 has gone really badly for the president's party. Uh, 2009, you saw this big backlash against President Obama and what Democrats were doing in, this, in there. You know, the, I, the country has just been in a generally dissatisfied state for quite a while now. It's generally been disappointed whenever somebody like Obama comes in. Uh, it did not take long for the country to sour on President Trump, and it looks like it has taken even less time for the country to sour on President Biden. And for the sake of the country, I would prefer that we felt really good about our leaders and we felt like we were in good hands and we felt like we could trust them and we felt like they would have wise judgment about the thorny problems that face the country. But if they're not going to do a good job, and I think you can say the story of the past two decades or so has been the loss of faith in institutions in this country, and that loss of faith has been well-earned. I don't think this is people feeling needlessly cynical. This is in government and a whole bunch of other institutions, higher education, the media, uh, even religious institutions, you know, uh, that trust has been lost. And so I like to see this check on incumbents to say, no, 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 you don't get to do whatever you want. You will be held accountable. And if you do a lousy job, you're going to get tossed out. So to me, that's the theme, of not just Sweeney's defeat, but a lot of these folks. Yes, Murphy won re-election, but he did it by the skin of his teeth. Um, McAuliffe was not an incumbent, but he was uh, you know, a quasi-incumbent. He'd been in the job before. He was looking to continue, by and large, most of the policies Northam did, et cetera. Um, I think when, you know, look, the public is dissatisfied. I'd like to see our elected officials recognize that, address it, and act like there's a fire under their seat, because on some levels, there really is. Yeah, for as, you know, basic as this video was, it was just very real. It hit the big issues, the nursing home deaths, because remember, Murphy was one of the handful of governors who forced COVID patients back into nursing homes. We'll see how that plays for Gretchen Whitmer next year, for example. Um, the, the cratering of businesses, people leaving the state. And at the end of the ad, he says, hey, it's time to end one party rule with the basic message of, hey, there's only one party you can blame for this. They control everything. So uh, how about we try something different? And you know, Democrats are still going to be in charge in Trenton, but uh, it's great to see this. Really great to see this. I hope he does well. All right, Jim. Well, you have had an excellent week. Most conservatives have had a pretty excellent week. Uh, and in addition to watching favorable election results roll in, you've gotten to do it all from your X chair. How great was that? Uh, made things a lot easier, Greg. Um, I had a perfectly fine office chair beforehand, and, and it was nice. It functioned. 
Um, it was starting to show a little bit of wear and tear. And, you know, if you ever find yourself working at the kitchen table or something that isn't your usual desk, isn't your usual desk chair, my guess is the next day, you probably by that, by that night when you're in bed, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it in your lower back, your shoulders, your arms, all these things that are used to being in a certain way. Like you're, you're going to spend hours and hours. So trust me when I say this, you want to invest in your own body and in your own health. And believe it or not, the chair you sit in can have a big impact on it. And, you know, like it's, you know, not only is it just a more comfortable chair, it's, you know, adjustable, every possible, your arms, the back, neck, everything is adjustable. It's got the massage settings. It's got the heating settings. It's got the cooling settings. Anything your body could possibly want to make you feel comfortable when you're working, this chair has it. Get the X chair. I know it sounds like something Professor X would be rolling around in. It's, it's as cool and as high tech as you'd expect from those movies. Uh, go out, take care of your body, take care of your back, your butt, your neck, the whole parts. You'll thank me later. Go to xchairmartini.com right now. That's the letter X chair. M-A-R-T-I-N-I dot com or call 844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. Once again, that's xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, on to our second good martini now. And while yesterday we uh, were talking about how the Biden administration and some Democrats were saying that the... uh, Republican wins on Tuesday night were a sign that we have to deliver. We got to pass this legislation. The people couldn't possibly not want this. Well, they actually don't want this. But uh, as a result of all this, there's more chaos now up on Capitol Hill. And this time, it's not just Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. This time, it's on the House side. Nancy Pelosi, once again, trying to shoehorn this thing in as quickly as possible. But it's not going quite as well as she would hope. And it looks like some other people on the more moderate side are actually paying attention to the election results. Uh, the Washington Post reports, quote, that Pelosi is committed to bringing this up. So are a lot of the caucuses, according to Congressman Jimmy Gomez of California, a member of the left-leaning Congressional Progressive Caucus. Now we're in that phase and trying to push as quickly as possible. Still don't understand the breathless urgency of all this. Meanwhile, Oregon Congressman Kurt Schrader, quote, What the heck is all this other stuff that Nancy Pelosi has put back in the legislation that Joe Manchin has already said he won't support? Schrader says it really keeps changing. If that weren't enough, a handful of moderates, this is from The Hill, led by Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy of Florida, are demanding a score from the Congressional Budget Office on the social spending bill before they agree to vote for it. So, Jim, sounds like uh, the natives are getting restless there. Uh, Joe Manchin yesterday saying that you need to take time, you need to talk to the folks back home, see what they really want. He, of course, just earlier in the last few days, uh, has talked about taking a pause again on this. It's hard to know what he means in terms of a length of a pause. My guess is it's a heck of a lot shorter than we would want. But uh, what do you make of more people speaking up publicly of, you know, maybe this isn't such a good idea? Greg, I mentioned this towards the tail end of today's morning, Joel, that one week ago today, President Biden went to Capitol Hill before his trip to Europe, and he told congressional Democrats, this is a quote, he, we don't have a recording of this, but multiple people told this to multiple news organizations after the meeting. Biden said, quote, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the House and Senate majorities and my presidency will be determined by what happens in the next week. 
that was seven days ago. <laughs> and in that week, they have not passed the bipartisan infrastructure framework. They have not passed Build Back Better. And they, oh, by the way, had a really bad uh, election day, lost everything in Virginia, lost the Virginia House delegates. Uh, Murphy hung on, but Republicans gained seats in the state legislature and a whole bunch of other smaller races, like particularly up in New York State, uh, went well for Republicans. So uh, well, okay. I, I think he's right. I really think the South Senate majorities and his presidency is going to be determined by what happened in the past week. The the other thing which I'm struck by as I read the coverage this morning is people emphasizing, well, there's really good news for this. There really seems to be momentum. The you know, people who are leaders in the in the House Progressive Caucus they say it's time to pass the bill, and in fact, leaders of House moderates also say it's time to pass the bill. The problem is they're not talking about the same version of the bill. Right. <laughs> That's kind of the important thing. You know, like, it's not that people are like, oh, you know, before Election Day, I don't really want to pass. No, everybody wanted to pass the bill. The real challenge was getting everybody to decide on what version of the bill, what should you stay in, what should stay out. Um, do we really want to repeal the state and local tax deduction, which is the you know biggest tax break you could possibly give to all kinds of wealthy people, particularly in places like New York, New Jersey, California, Illinois, and actually a surprising number of people here in Virginia. Will this, will they come together? I don't, the, the, the irony is that the, nothing really changed about the legislation. The only thing that may have changed is that maybe some people are more inclined to compromise because they see the terrible results. And I, I think that you, you can reasonably argue, like CNN was haranguing Joe Manchin uh, this morning, asking if he felt responsible for Terry McAuliffe's defeat in Virginia. Um Let's kind of this is basically like a, you're you represent a state called West Virginia and Terry McAuliffe lost a state called Virginia. So aren't you really <laughs> to blame? You know, that's not the way they worded it, but it wasn't that far away. And be like, first of all, if Joe Manchin was running for Virginia, he probably would have won. Um, Joe Manchin is a much more appealing figure than Terry McAuliffe in a whole bunch of different ways. But the second thing is that, you know, conceivably, maybe this makes Joe Manchin say, oh, wow, we're really in trouble. I better." But his comments did not indicate that. In fact, Joe Manchin came out and said, actually, we're not a left country. We're not even a center left country. I think we're a center right country. Um, you know, if you haven't heard that yet, that, that boom you heard was the, the you know, progressives heads exploding across the country because they, they do not like to hear talk like that. Is it possible this gets everybody on board? Fine. And I think the most likely scenario for these two bills getting passed is that, you know, House progressives say, all right, Manchin, you win. You and Cinema get whatever version you want. If it's only 1.3 trillion or some smaller amount, we'll live with it because we want to get two things passed. It's still going to add up to nearly 3 trillion in new federal spending. That's still a big win for us. And that's fine. And I still think that scenario could happen. But the fact that it's not, uh, that it hasn't happened really quickly after the election, I don't think that urgency is going to, to intensify over day by day. I think that if it gets bogged down over the next week or so, then I think you're probably dealing with these kind of negotiations going on well into December. Well, on to December and next year and maybe after the midterms and hopefully they right don't November have Right after November 2022. Anymore. Yeah, great, great, great. Well, your instincts are very much what uh, we're seeing in this Hill story. Democrats think if the Pelosi tries to put these things back in the bill that Manchin doesn't like, it'll go to the Senate. He'll vote no, and then he'll have to renegotiate again, and eventually he'll get what he wants. But my favorite quote from this Hill story is from an unidentified Democrat, only as a moderate Democrat, because, you know, you know, cross Nancy Pelosi and, you know, your, your political life is in big trouble. Quote, her well of confidence remains undiscovered by all of us who seek it. Almost sounds like a fortune cookie, but uh, basically they're saying that, uh, I don't know, she, she, she keeps saying we're going to get this done and, you know, we don't get this done. 
I feel like that guy who keeps saying he's going to propose but never actually proposes. You know, yeah. Be careful of those guys, ladies. Yeah. You know, you know what a man does when he wants to get married? <laughs> he gets married. True. True. Very. A bit of relationship advice right in the middle of our political analysis. You never know what you're going to get in this podcast. Exactly. I feel like the NBC, the more you know, is flashing uh, for you know many listeners of a certain age on this podcast. So hopefully they take that to heart. But uh, Jim, one of the things you can uh, take to heart is the fantastic sleep you're going to get with products from my pillow not just the pillow although the pillows are fantastic but you also have the mattress topper and the giza dream sheets my absolute favorite set of bed sheets and right now three martini lunch listeners can buy one set of giza sheets and get another set free when you use our promo code martini at checkout these sheets are made from the world's best cotton which is grown only in a region between the sahara desert the mediterranean sea and the nile river the long staple cotton makes these sheets ultra soft and breathable They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They are machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee, as well as a one-year limited warranty. Look, you're going to spend one-third of your life sleeping, right? Or at least you should. This week, probably not so much for Jim and me. But uh, uh, it's been, uh, you know, you want to get a quality sleep. And products from MyPillow, including the Giza Dream Sheets, will help you do that. So for a limited time, buy one, get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use the promo code martini at checkout or call 800-874-0104 and find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Do not miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code martini, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to our third good martini. And anytime there's a decisive win for one party, not just in one spot, but uh, in a lot of different spots, and especially in the marquee races, well, the party that loses tends to finger point. And so that's what's happening now with progressives and moderates in the Democratic Party. They are pointing fingers like crazy over the fact that Terry McAuliffe and the Democrats lost the all three statewide races. They lost the House of Delegates. Uh, Republicans did much better expected than New Jersey. All the things you mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast. And so the moderates are saying, look, you know, if you progressives hadn't played hardball on the uh, infrastructure deal, which we uh, passed out of the Senate a long time ago, and you've got the votes to pass in the House, you know, that might have helped Terry McAuliffe showing the Democrats were getting stuff done. But no, you guys had to hold everything up for the uh, Build Back Better uh, big spending reconciliation bill. And the progressives are saying, no, 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 no. You guys had all your elite, moderate people on this ticket, uh, running this campaign, and uh, you can't be blaming us. Leah Greenberg, this is from Politico, co-executive director of Indivisible, a prominent liberal advocacy group, said Wednesday, no matter whether or not you run a progressive, no matter whether progressives had any influence at all in the campaign strategy, somehow it is the reaction of some in the party to find a progressive to blame when things don't go well. The progressives are trying to uh, contend here that Terry McAuliffe is not a progressive, and maybe he's not as far left as uh, other candidates had been in the primary. But Jim, I, I struggle to think of a single position he didn't agree with progressives on. He even flip-flopped on right to work. So uh, I don't know. It looks like the progressives, uh, even though they, they lost other key races that, that, that they were involved with around the country, like Minneapolis and Buffalo, they seem to have learned nothing here. And that should uh, be really good for 2022. My favorite analysis came from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who said that Terry McAuliffe lost because he wasn't socialist enough. <laughs> you look at that and you're like, so um, so what happened in Buffalo? 
because you know you're you're a socialist candidate that you endorsed lost to but which by the way i think it's safe to say that the city of buffalo is a more left of center uh political area of geography and demography than uh the entire state of virginia is and uh i would expect uh that'd be more much more fertile ground for a message of socialism and in fact the socialist candidate for mayor who won the democratic primary lost the general election when the incumbent Democrats said, eh, the heck with this, I'm just going to run a write-in campaign and manage to win, actually by a pretty solid margin. Uh, look, defeat stinks. Defeat is always difficult. And it is very, very frustrating when you realize the electorate does not want, as a whole, a majority of the electorate does not want what you want. If you're a fiscal conservative, you've been dealing with these feelings for a long time. Right. You know, Donald Trump won in 2016 and, you know, thrilled many Republicans in doing so. But he did not do so on a platform of fiscal conservatism. In fact, he promised to protect entitlements. He said about expanding entitlements. He was not a guy who was interested in reducing the deficit, reducing the debt or reducing spending in general, other than very targeted, isolated areas like canceling the White House subscriptions to The New York Times and things like that. When he asked when he was asked about how he was you know, reducing spending, that was what would come to his mind. Um, whatever, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever that was. Um, and it's frustrating because, you know, look, the, the electorate is not always right on everything. You know, given a choice, you know, between how to manage the books, the American people always choose, well, I want more spending and I want tax cuts and I'll worry about how we're going to pay it later, <laughs> which means the government borrows more and more. It's not a good long-term philosophy. Now, so you so you can make the argument, yeah, the, the public doesn't know what's good for it. It doesn't know what's right. It walks around in unrealism. The problem is that you still got to get elected. You can either say, all right, you know what? I'm going to push for these policies. I'm going to recognize that they're not, they're never going to be popular. People are always going to want free ice cream. They're always going to vote for the candidate who promises them more free ice cream. But perhaps in continuing a bit of what I was talking about, this lack of faith in institutions over the last couple of decades, maybe part of the problem is that there's always somebody who comes along and promises the free ice cream party, i.e., socialists like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who insists that you can have the best life you possibly have. Uh, you can make a fantastic living. You're not going to have to work that hard. Government's going to cover your health care. Government's going to cover your daycare. Government's going to cover your uh, old age. Government's going to cover every possible need you have. You'll be living the life of Julia or who? who's the other girl that uh, Biden just put out the slideshow on? Oh, I missed that one. Does she have eyeballs this time? She doesn't. And that was that's nobody ever mentioned Julia lost her eyes in that trade-off. Doesn't that seem like a lot? <laughs> but anyway, this idea, don't worry, government's going to take care of you. Never mind the fact that this has failed everywhere it's ever been tried, all across the entire world, to the point where socialists have to insist, look, yes, there are tons of governments that have called themselves socialists, but they're not true socialists. True socialism has never been tried. Like, but it's one of those things like the the message that I, I don't know if people are necessarily, I don't think they'd welcome it. But I do wonder when you see this big shift in how the country is so currently dissatisfied with democratic governance, I do wonder if people are maybe a little more receptive than they might have been a few years ago to say, hey, government can't do everything. In fact, government's trying to do too much. And that the idea that government can be Santa Claus and the idea that government can take care of all of your needs from cradle to grave. No. And by the way, government doesn't do a great job of that. You know, you know by and large, you know, maybe nothing in this world does a, a perfect job at this, but probably family, community, non-governmental organizations, charities, uh, all of these can be tools to help, you know, get you through life, to help you rise, to help you achieve your dreams, to help you go out and live your best life. They're going to do a better job of it in the federal government. Federal government, federal government takes money from one pile and puts it into another pile. That's what it does. If you're in that second pile, it feels good. 
if you're in that first pile, it doesn't feel good. And that's why you had to, you, you, you know, you're probably one of those wealthy people who wants your money back. And so you call up your Democrats and say, hey, I want to I want to re- restore the salt deduction. But tell me that you're getting tough on rich people. Anyway, you add all of this up. Democrat, the re- one of the reasons Democrats are having such a hard time with these pieces of legislation is that they don't really know what they want to stand for. From 2016, or actually really 2015-ish, to 2020, or actually beginning early 2021, Democrats had this fantastic unifying force. We hate Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the worst. We, whatever he wants to do, we oppose. Even for things like the Abraham Accords, which really weren't all that partisan or ideological and seemed to be generating some pretty good results. Um, you saw it in the reflexive disdain for the vaccines while Trump was president. And then, of course, the vaccines come out. They work pretty darn well. And all of a sudden, da- Democrats are like, if you don't get the vaccine, we will fire you from your job. Right. They, they just did this 180 flip really, really fast. Democrats, there are liberal Democrats. There are kind of centrist Democrats, not as centrist as you and I would like. Um, but it's one of those things where like, they, they don't have, and they only have 50 seats and Republicans are not going to help them pass these big spending bills. So they've got to find something that everybody agrees on. That's at the core of the party. And opposing the president helps you paper over a whole bunch of those differences. We don't have that unifying force anymore. And maybe an interesting question is, does Abigail Spanberger and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez really agree on all that much? Certainly Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders don't agree on that much. They might get along very well, and that's good. I'm glad they have an amiable relationship. But in the end, the legislation is in black and white. Either it's in the bill or it's not. And that's where things are with the Democrats. They are nowhere near sorting this stuff out. And I got to tell you, Greg, I don't think the current leadership they have, the geriatrics, the you know, Joe Biden, the uh, the vice president, <laughs> um, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Steny Hoyer, this crowd is not going to be the guys who are going to be able to help them sort through all these differences. And by the way, if you're thinking, if you think about the the entire process of this negotiations, which I think has been going on for like six, seven months, but it feels like it's been going on for eternity. Think about how much you hear about. Pramila J. Jellopal, uh, or or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez or the Squad. And think about how much you hear about Mansion and Cinema. And think about how little you hear about what Nancy Pelosi wants to do or what Chuck Schumer wants to do. It's really kind of interesting that actually the the extremes of the party are setting the terms of the debate, not the leaders. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Nancy keeps setting the schedule, but she can't she can't dictate yeah. the terms. Which hear her come out and say, no, this is this should be in the bill and this should not be in the bill. Yeah, a couple takeaways from from that excellent analysis. Uh, first of all, Abigail Spanberger, I believe, was quoted yesterday as saying, nobody elected Joe Biden to be FDR. So does I hope that means she's not going to vote for this stuff anymore. Somebody but. tell Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham. <laughs> yeah, that's going to break their heart. Uh, also, uh, to no surprise, uh, Jim, you would have thrived at Hillsdale. I literally had a history professor, Dr. John Wilson, if he's listening, uh, say that uh, America was founded on family, church, and local community, and not a centralized government, uh, you know, making everybody's life better. And uh, lastly, just a couple more quotes here from uh, progressives that are just delicious. This one's from uh, uh, the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, which is aligned with Elizabeth Warren. Terry McAuliffe sadly can blame his loss on a few corporate-aligned obstructionist Democrats who blocked bold action in Congress. And then, uh, just to top it all off with the chef's kiss here, Ilhan Omar, quote, can't wait for the left to be blamed for a not-at-all-left Democrat losing a D-plus-10 state. So, Jim, the 2022 midterms will be officially brought to you by Pop Secret and Orville Redenbacher. Maybe they can be sponsors for the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I hope, I hope every, you know, we're, it's kind of funny. It feels like the year's flying by. 
usually election day is like the peak of the, the political season and things kind of quiet down as the rest of the year goes on. Obviously, a lot of exceptions in a lot of years. But uh, Greg, I don't know about you. 2021 hasn't been that bad. And I don't know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to 22, 2022 already. I am right now, you know. There's 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 12 months for us to screw this up, obviously, but uh, the Democrats seem to be way ahead in that department. So uh, hopefully that means good news again a year from now. But uh, Jim, have a great Thursday. I will actually be off uh, tomorrow, uh, not gallivanting. I get the honor to be interviewing uh, veterans from World War II all the way up to uh, the present over the next couple of days. So looking forward to that. Chad Benson will be in for me tomorrow and I will be bleary eyed, but here again on Monday. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Also, tell your friends about us. Also, thank you so much for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They always help us out. Uh, find us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us again on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.